Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is DTC Growth Hacking with Rob McGray. Brought to you by Field Test. Advertising Simplified. One thing that, that I found I can be sure about is that techni- technology is constantly evolving and changing, and not in terms of just um, processing power, but it's really changing the way that we interact with this world. Traceability and accountability became these huge movements, and even more so once blockchain technology gained a lot of support from the community. And what it, what it enabled was not only things like assets can have ledgers, which is like cryptocurrency, but basically anything that exchanges between parties can share a ledger. And that's where Digifresh comes in. They believe that products should be traceable to their source and consumers should be able to easily access records that show not only the ori- origin of the product, but where it's been on that journey from, say, your lo- a farm or your grocer or restaurant or basically anything. And today we're speaking with Sarah Wagman Ellen Bogan. She's Digifresh's CEO, and she's our resident expert on product traceability. This is DTC Growth Hacking, presented by Field Test, and I'm your host, Rob McGray. Sarah, hey. Hi. So good to be here, Rob. It's so good. I mean, I feel like, uh, and for everyone out there, Sarah and I know each other from a from a past life, it feels like, uh, uh, many moons ago. And uh, I'm just so excited uh, having followed your journey um, from, from when I met you, which was basically you were still at, at CAA yep. uh, till now. And, uh, you know, to watch you grow and to watch you kind of come up and, uh, and, you know, basically gain all this experience. And now you're running your own show. It's exciting. It's so fun. It's, it's been a wild ride since our days in mid 2000s, working on video technology and you know, building the early content creator ecosystem that is now, right, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. Yeah. Um, and then my, you know, 14 years at Google to now launching and find, founding Digifresh and now running the CEO, yeah. being the CEO. It's, it's, it's been such a great journey, but it's, it's really nice yeah. to be here and be back with you. Yeah, it is crazy. Do you, do you do you find and and I don't want to get too too into the weeds on rubber, but do you find when you tell people what we were doing that people just look at you like, "Wait, you were doing what?" Yeah. Back then? Yeah. Well, you know, some people who are in the space have heard of it, right? I mean, for those listening, um, Rever was the biggest YouTube competitor in the mid-2000s. We pioneered the creator rev share model by inserting an in-stream video ad. Um, look, and I would never have gotten my job at Google had I not worked at Rever. Um, and with you and um, my co-founder at uh, Digifresh, man by the name of Oliver Luckett, who I'm sure you're going to hear us talk a little bit about um, during during this podcast. 
But uh, I often tell people that I received my MBA in digital media from yourself and Oliver. Um, and oh, yeah, I mean, wow. it, it really, really, you guys taught me so much. I mean, coming from CAA, um, I, you know, I had no idea what in-stream video ads were. I didn't know anything about online video content or technology or advertising. Um, and, you know, Rever really taught me so much and was my launch pad to my career today. So really would yeah. not have been here without it. Yeah, I'm a little, I'm a little, I'm going to have to admit, I'm a little jealous that you guys are doing this. Um, you know, I mean, to work with you again, but also like Oliver is the type of guy who really has the ability to see a trend um, long, long before it, it becomes mainstream. And even to a fault where he will, he will, you know, fight to try to push something forward. And I think what's fascinating about this is, and we talked a little bit about this, is that if I go back, you know, almost a decade, I can remember him pushing QR codes um, in the strangest places, but but so adamant that QR codes were the future. And and people would just kind of like gloss over or look at him like, wait, what are you talking about? And he'd be like, no, everything's going to have a QR code someday. And I know it's been his longstanding dream to make this true. So I feel like there's some kind of like, you know, um, wonderful unity to the world that he's finally, that you guys are finally bringing this forward. Yeah. I mean, that and COVID, right? I think COVID really pushed uh, the adoption, at least in the U.S. I mean, in, in places like Asia, uh, thanks to things like WeChat, QR codes have been around for a very long time. Um, and I think, you know, some crazy stat like 80 to 85% of, of Asians use QR codes on a, on a very regular basis. Um, but in the U.S., we, we really weren't using them. I mean, you'd see them in a little kind of experiential marketing campaigns and potentially on a few packages, but really no one was using them. I mean, a little bit of contactless payment, but no one was using mm -hmm. them in the way that we are today. And I mean, that's because now it's native to all devices, right? I mean, all new phones now have a QR reader built in, so you don't need that kind of clunky um, barrier to entry that was an app. Um, and then with COVID and the contactless um Everything, right? You see them on Cuba on menus. Yeah. You see, you see them for coupon redemption. I mean, there was this crazy stat that was 5.3 billion coupons are going to be redeemed by a QR code in 2021. So, you know, these things yeah. have really pushed these contactless experiences with QR forward. And honestly, I think now people are starting to talk about NFC, which is near field communication. Um, and for those that don't know about NFC, NFC is in all of your devices, your phone devices today, and actually in your credit cards. That's that small chip that allows you to do contactless payments. And so I think QR codes, yes, 2021 brought them into a mainstream and no longer being something that only experiential marketers were using. But now we're really starting to see people are testing and the trendsetters are testing with NFC. Yeah, yeah. I had this conversation the other day with somebody we were talking about, you know, and, and who knows if, if this will happen, but, you know, the potential of a, of a vaccine mandate um, check when you go into a public place. And, you know, if you think about it for two seconds, you realize, oh, that would be a great usage for a QR code or, uh, you know, some kind of embedded chip where someone just scans a human and it's like, okay. And then you scale that out and you're like, okay, where else is that useful? You know, banks, airports, you know, getting on a plane, basically anywhere, the ability to just scan somebody. And so I, I tend to, I, I'm always creepy. afraid to lump. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm afraid to go there and lump people in with products, but, but I think that it's probably a future 
um, if things continue to move the way they're moving, that that will become will become reality. One hundred percent. I mean, we're all. I I always say that you're going to see it a QR code because it well QR really like just taking a step back. It it came about because it allows people to connect the physical and the digital. So. Yeah. You know, you can scan something really seamlessly and pull up a digital experience. So you don't have to go to Google and search for something, right? So it's it's that connection of the online and offline world in a seamless way that has allowed the adoption to kind of become mainstream. Um, but I do think technology is such an important part of our daily lives, and it's only going to increase. Uh, and we've just seen, I mean, even since our early days of building Rever and inserting a video ad in a piece of content and sharing the revenue. Now we have YouTube and that's, everybody knows what that's like. Everybody can now have, you know, who has a, an idea and a camera can now become a big content creator and a mainstream name that everybody knows. Whereas in the mid 2000s, when Netflix was doing DVD rentals, right? That yeah. wasn't that wasn't something that was really um, widely adopted or, or widely recognized. Yeah, I guess that's that's actually that brings up a, a question I had. You know, you you had like a front row seat to essentially YouTube becoming what it is today, and I was you know I I probably the content that I that I watch. In particular, I'd say probably 85% of it is YouTube. Like I'm one of those people who just sits down and, you know, lets YouTube do its magic and serve me up. I know I'm not supposed to, but I, I take the recommendations and I'm I'm watching basically like do-it-yourself videos on DIY. who knows what. And uh, and I love it and I feel smarter. And and I had this, you know, and and I and I you know, I don't try to block the ads. I, I get that I want people to get paid for their work. And so I get that it's an ecosystem. But I had this thought the other night when I was when I was sitting there watching it, because of the ads, I was like, this is totally replaced TV. And I think at some point we thought that the TV model was dead, but this is so much like it that that it didn't really change all that much. The thing that changed was the relationships, whether it's the relationship with me, the consumer and, and the video creator, because now I have a different type of access to them. You know, someone small where I can just jump on their, you know, their video and talk to them and they might talk back. But also like to your point, it created this whole way for people to make a living that cut out, you know, in theory, many middlemen. You know, because you could get by with just basically you as the content creator, YouTube as the platform, and and in this case, me as the consumer. And so when we talk about Digifresh, right, the way that, that I've uh, understood it is it's something similar where Digifresh enables, you know, brands and companies who create products to add a layer to that product to allow for what I would call a, a somewhat of a more intimate relationship between them and the, and the consumer, because now you have a lot of information about that product that you didn't have before. Is that, is that accurate? That's right. I mean, we at Digifresh, it's, we're bringing, we're elevating the, the story of the brand. We're bringing transparency to a consumer about that brand that could be in their hand or or something that they're looking at purchasing, whether it be in a store or at home. Um, so we're a marketing technology platform. 
um, that allows a brand to transparently and authentically tell their story and connect directly with customers. And we do this through um, templated storytelling tools by putting a QR code or, or an NFC chip right on a package or a marketing material. Um, and then we allow a brand to really tell their origin story and the journey. Right? They can talk about their processes, their brand values, and they're able to build that direct relationship with a consumer to increase trust and awareness. Um, you know, we also, you know, coming from my Google experience and my, my Rever experience, right, I, I have um, built some of the most well-known or, or worked on teams that have built some of the most well-known um, advertising products um, that are used today, right? I mean, everything from um, inserting video ads to mobile app ads to just basic kind of display ads. Um, and what, what we're doing with Digifresh is we're actually making the product package a new ad format. So in a world of, you know, an, a highly networked world of complex supply chains and multiple paths to a consumer, the product itself is really the only consistent connection that a brand has to that customer. Um, but historically, that connection has really only been a one-way conversation. You pick up a package, you read the um, information on that package, and then you kind of make a decision by the look of it um, if you want to purchase it. Um, now we're able to really help brands connect directly to that customer with a QR code and collect feedback and share their story, their, their story authentically. And, you know, we're able to kind of help them. Like I like to say, we help brands go beyond the label to tell their story. Um, and that's, you know, highly, val val um, highly valuable for brands when 95% of um, sales it happened through retail or e-tail and, and generally through a third party. So traditionally brands don't actually sell that much directly to the consumer. So they don't actually know who their audience is because retailers and e-tailers don't share that information with them. So by enabling uh -huh. a pa product package with a QR code, you can connect to that customer and understand the audience, understand insights and data, um, and really have a, a more um, robust uh, experience with, with that customer. Yeah, you know, I was. Uh, it makes me think of. I was speaking with a friend, and he um, he's actually going to be on the podcast, but he's a branding um, strategist, and he was talking a lot about this concept of where the brand fits in, in 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 terms of that that relationship between you know consumer and brand, and and you know he he likes to describe it as every customer is the hero. And the brand helps enable that hero's journey. So, you know, the, the, the customer is Luke Skywalker. The brand is Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, or, or uh, you know, the Karate Kid and, and, and uh, Mr. Miyagi or whatever, whatever, you know, pop culture reference you want to use. But that you put, you put the customer first and it's about them. And um, he told me a story, and I'm, I'm pretty sure this is well known in the marketing world. Uh, but you know, it's basically Apple. You know, before Jobs takes his his leave, where it's basically you know all the advertisements is look at how cool the computer is. Look at the specs of the computer. The computer is so awesome, and it's the fastest computer. It's the best computer. It's all about the computer. You just see pictures of a computer. And when, when Steve Jobs goes off and works with like John Lasseter and Ed Catmull and, and, and uh, founds Pixar and, and learns about storytelling, he comes back to Apple with a very different view. And his view at that point is the customer is the star. 
they are the hero. And if you look at the advertising from that point on, um, you know, for for iTunes or or the iPod, you know, you had a picture of a of a silhouette of a, someone dancing. You know, it became standard in every one of their advertisements is that the star was a human. It was no longer the computer. It was about you. And I think that this is what you're talking about is something very similar, which is these products that we take on as part of our our personas or our personal brands should allow us to, to tell great stories. And I think people like the whole influencer movement is just that. People talking about things that it that, that and when it started that they loved and later on what people would pay them to talk about. But but it started from someplace good, which is that I want to be associated with this great brand. Yeah, and I, I think we purchase products that align with our values. Uh, and so we seek out those brands, whatever they might be, the Patagonias, the Bowdens, right? The the clean beauty products that align with what we um, put out in the world and what we believe. And, and um, the trouble that historically has been the case is we often don't know a brand's values unless they're outwardly um, presenting it to a customer and they're really uh, marketing themselves around those values. I mean, it could be buried on their website. Um, and so we're at Digifresh, we're trying to help our brands be better storytellers with their values, with their mission, um, with their transparency. And, and that comes in the form of traceability in some cases, right? And brands are spending um, a tremendous amount of money, or I should say some brands are spending a tremendous amount of money to trace their supply chain so that they can um, know in the event of a recall or um, they can present it if they want to, to a customer so that they can demonstrate trust and, and kind of build that tr- um, relationship with the consumer. But as customers, we have become accustomed to not knowing where our food comes from, not knowing what's in our beauty products and in our makeup or how our clothing is made. And we're starting to see trends now. Um, and that's one of the trends that we saw when we when we were, were considering building Digifresh, that Customers deserve to know. We have a right to know what is in our products. Um, and 68% of consumers believe that if a QR code was on a product um, and it shared ingredients and materials used, it would increase their adoption or their purchasing. It would change their purchasing behavior. And so, you know, by putting QR codes on products and presenting the origin story or the processes and the practices of those the brands we believe that we can help brands build trust and in turn right sell more products but if we are build are we if we're people or consumers are buying more traceable products more higher value more sustainable right more environmentally friendly products it will be better for the environment it will be better for us all and so we're really trying to help those brands get a sort of step forward and and, and be able to really um, you know see an increase in adoption. Um, and so that's kind of how we're, we're really thinking about how we connect consumers to their products. Yeah. It's, you know, I think food is probably the, um, possibly one of the easier ones to, to talk about, right? Because it makes a lot of sense. I was just thinking as when you gave that statistic of the, was it 68%? Yep. Um, which, which is high, uh, you, you know, that, that, 
I just thought of like going to a grocery store and, you know, if you have like food allergies and, and the amount of detective work you have to do um, along with a magnifying glass to read the actual ingredients because they're so tiny and everything is unfortunately feels like it's designed to confuse and trick you. And for me, at least as a consumer, when I feel like someone's trying to hide something from me, I, my mind goes to the worst place that, well, they're doing something malicious. And why would they, why would they not be honest about this? Why would they not be upfront with it? And, you know, I, I think one of the, the challenges is that companies have gotten really used to kind of keeping that information to themselves and, and you can't help but think the worst. And so these companies that come out and their marketing tactic, to your point, is brand values first. So, you know, we only believe in the finest ingredients. Our ingredients are these three things. One, two, three. There's nothing else in here. Right. Oh, that's easy. And, and you tend to immediately be drawn to that. Like, oh, OK, well, there's really no detective work to do. Like right. that is who you are. And uh, and it would be it would be such, I think, a better world if brands would make this information not only available, but but really stand behind it, you know, and, and if there is going to be a change to, to communicate that, like, for example, we can't get this ingredient right now. We would love. So in this batch, we changed it. Yep. We ended up going with this other this other source. I remember what was the, the company that um, Everlane? Do you remember yep. the clothing oh, yeah. manufacturer? Yep. And I know they've gotten they've gotten some criticism um, about a year ago. They got I don't know they got caught for something or another. But but I loved the pitch, which was that you know we we will tell you where it's made, and it's not and it's not all made in the United States or it's not all made in Europe. It's it's wherever we can find that you know we believe that this is a good group of people, and people are being treated right. And, uh, and that's what we really care about. And the quality is up, is up to our name. And, uh, and at that point, you know, you watch them go from, I remember their early t-shirts were like made in LA, but then all of a sudden it was like, okay, now we're making things in Malaysia, but they would, they were very upfront about it. Right. Remember they had like a picture of the factory. And so they were early adopters. Supply and demand. Right. Yeah. That was the kind of the challenge. I mean, look, we saw that with Belcampo, right? Like another kind of think about, I mean, you can't turn on the news today without a a new recall or a scandal, or I mean, you had the Johnson and Johnson sunscreen recall. You had the Belcampo meat scandal and Belcampo was, I mean, you know, they were in kiss the ground, that documentary about regenerative agriculture as being the um, the golden child for uh, how to grow your meat, and then they grew really fast, and they couldn't keep up with the demand, and so they were going to the grocery store and picking up Tyson's meat and and putting the Belcampo uh, label on it. But <laughs> but uh, you know, I mean, yeah. it's it's a challenge today from a brand side as these brands grow, um, and they try to you know, live by their, their values, um, even as they scale. But, you know, part of it is also consumers. I mean, we as consumers are generally quite passive. I mean, we do assume good intent and we trust our brands. I mean, look, I, I, until a few years ago, when I really began investigating products and trying to understand what natural ingredients actually meant, and by the way, if they're putting natural ingredients, it is actually not a natural ingredient and it is, it is all artificial. Um, 
But, you know, the FDA hasn't been prioritizing it. They haven't been really focusing on kind of anything that could be greenwashing or any marketing statements that, that could be false. Um, so we need, as consumers, it's up to us to do the investigative work to understand what the process means, what the ingredient means. Um, and that's why, you know, Digifresh, by putting a QR code on a product package or on any marketing material, enables um, customers to really have those tools to be able to investigate what is in their products and then, you know, verify them and authenticate if what a brand is saying is actually true through a third-party source. But supply chains traditionally have been very opaque. And this is purposeful in some instances. I mean, brands um, want to preserve their supply chains for fear of competitors taking their supply chains or um, you know, they're, they don't want to present things very transparently to a customer in the event that something changes and then, and then they have to, you know, redesign everything. Um, but we're, we really believe that traceability and supply chain tracking and tracing is going to be mainstream in the next five years. Um, the FDA, uh, you know, with their Smarter Foods Initiative, um, which was launched this year, is mandating that 18 foods be fully traceable in the next few years. I mean, unfortunately, the, the purpose of that is really on a reactive basis. So if there is an outbreak or a recall um, or some other issue that the um, FDA can, can track that, that, that batch and eliminate it from you know, the, the food chain or the supply chain. But we're really going to see this happening across a number of industries. I mean, it's happening in cannabis, um, all cannabis products that are sold and, you know, your, your state, if, if it uh, has a recreational license to do so, has a certificate of analysis on it and has to be fully traceable. Today, that yeah. certificate of analysis is generally just a PDF that they kind of bury on the package somewhere because they want to be able to like sell in that state. And that's the easiest way to do so. But we think that don't bury that certificate of analysis elevate that certificate of analysis and also tell, give more content, give more context, educate consumers with information that will be useful for them so that you don't waste your product package space with a QR code that just goes to an ugly PDF that you don't want anybody to look at. Like make it useful, make it accessible, make it relatable for consumers. Um, and so that's a lot of what we're, you know, we're prioritizing with our templated storytelling tools is educating brands on the best way to tell their story um, and making sure they're doing so in a, a transparent way, an authentic way. Yeah. So it sounds to me like the, uh, the, the brand pitch is, you know, and, and I'll be really blunt because I know you guys would be way more subtle and smooth than this, but, you know, essentially this is your opportunity to get on the offense. A day is coming where, people are going to be asking you these questions and you can tell it your, the story your way, or you can tell it their way. That's right. Um, what, what I wonder is, you know, in your, in your initial kind of um, partnerships, like what kinds of brands are you seeing? Cause as I'm thinking about, I'm just looking around my room and, and thinking what's in my kitchen. And I'm thinking some of those brands are going to be scared and some of them, like, I don't know, like uh, any salad dressing or something is going to come to the front of the line and be like, we've been waiting for this. Sign us up. Yeah. So um, the brands that right now are prioritizing sustainability, are prioritizing transparency and authenticity, uh, those are the brands that are leaning in to Digifresh. 
um, those that are have really transparent supply chains, single source ingredients, right? Regenerative farming practices. They've been looking for a way to communicate it. And oftentimes, if you go to that web, their website, you can find somewhere buried in the website brand values or in their about us section, you can find details about um, their practices and their processes. But they are not elevating in a way um, so that it connects with the customer at that moment in their journey when they're discovering new products or when they're in the store making a purchase, right? So we're, we're hoping that by putting a QR code on um, an in-store display or on an e-commerce insert, right, that goes with a product that's been shipped or, you know, a product package, that we're going to connect with that customer and give them relatable content that's going to help them at that moment make a decision um, do they want to reorder this product if it's an e-commerce pro- pro- you know, product? Or you know, if they're in the store and they're comparing one product to the other, right? And there's an essential oil um, by Soli Essentials, which is one of our partners in a Whole Foods, and that there's a competitor next to it, they're going to scan the Soli Essential Oils product and see that it's single source. I mean, essential oils are high fraud, high counterfeit product, and they're going to be able to authenticate mm-hmm. this product came from this region in Romania, and they can see the the source of the oil, and they can see the, you know, the lavender, the um, tree where it came from, and they can connect with it in a much more tangible way. Um, And by increasing that awareness, you know, you kind of take the, you think about that marketing funnel, it's all about kind of awareness, and then you've got like loyalty, and then, you know, kind of some sort of conversion. And we, we, we're, we're seeing that we're bringing that consumer through that funnel from awareness to sort of taking an action, whether it be opting into an email address or, you know, making a purchase um, by being more transparent and by connecting them with the brand's values and mission and practices. Yeah. It sounds like a a potential like um, early adopter of, of this method of storytelling would be Tesla. Um, Because I, 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 my take on it, and, and again, I'm not a, an expert, but that up until Tesla um, started talking about how the batteries are manufactured and, and how the stuff is made and where it comes from and where the parts are sourced from, that wasn't necessarily part of an automaker's marketing play, right? Their play was sexy car, you know, goes fast, like, you know, at, at some point, like some auto manufacturers got into the, you know, maybe concern about, you know, gas mileage. Um, but but we watched that come and go and come and go and come and go. And now all of a sudden, Tesla, you know, fanboys are arguing on Reddit about like, you know, the efficiency of, you know, the, the battery manufacturing to such a granular level that you would have never seen like a GM or a Ford or, or a BMW or a Porsche or any of these mainstream brands talk about like how the sausage is made. You know, I remember uh, I, 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 was, I was fortunate enough to do a tour of the Porsche factory in, in Stuttgart. And, uh, you know, and, and that was like such a, an awesome experience to see like actually where the car came from. And to 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 meet the people who had assembled it, like and 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 that was such like a that was like the pinnacle of what I thought their best marketing was. Yeah, you know, I mean, well, eighty percent of U.S. consumers want to know the origins of their products, and seventy percent of them are seeking brands they can trust. Right, so 
I mean, I think on the Tesla side of things, you get people that are techophiles, right? People who love the technology, who love sort of, um, yes, the battery life and, and potentially the sustainability factor of it. But I think there's kind of a debate right now about, right, battery versus gas and what really is more sustainable because, you know, there's a lot a lot that goes into carbon emissions of producing a battery. But we're not having that debate right now. I think I think it's more just it is evident that customers want to know where their products come from and how they were made. Um, and, you know, you, you sort of saw this trend happen, I don't know, about five, six years ago with organic foods. I mean, organic became such a mainstream um, way of purchasing food today and producing food that 83% of people in the U.S. are opting for organic over right, a conventional product. And the organic food business is now, I think it's like a $106 billion business. Um, and that's, that's crazy considering how, how fast, you know, how far we've come since you know, even 2015. Um, but yeah. customers don't trust their food. I mean, one of my traceability partners was telling me this crazy stat or feedback that we actually sell more organic foods in the United States than are produced. So. Okay. So, so, so okay. There's a lot of greenwashing happening. There's a lot of false advertising yeah. happening, um, which is w one great, very valid point for Digifresh, right? We're going to be able to authenticate um, by tracing a product and partnering with companies like Arrive.io, who is doing the kind of blockchain ledger digitization um, yeah. we're going to be able to present that to a customer. And so you'll know if that food is actually organic or not, or sustainable or any other kind of buzzword that you you know want for healthy, sustainable food purchasing, um, or just product purchasing in general. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Um, yeah. But there's, that's there's actually, definitely Sarah, that's, a lot that's, of trust. Yeah, that's actually really sad that something like, um, well, a word, a buzzword, organic, or what wasn't, it wasn't supposed to be a buzzword, but now it is. And there's no real validation um, if, if that's a credible claim. And, yeah. uh, and I think that's, you know, I, I'm, I always try to think, you know, I, I, I had a friend and, uh, you know, he grew up and not being very well off. And, you know, his family did a lot of trips to McDonald's, right? And uh, when he would talk about it, you know, he didn't talk about it necessarily like with, with a tremendous amount of pride, but he understood that the decisions that his parents had to make at the time were very difficult. And sometimes they were looking at, hey, you could feed one of the kids at a grocery store, or you could feed all the kids if we just go to McDonald's. And we've seen time and time again, consumers on, on you know, the lower income side be really forced to make very difficult decisions, right? And almost decisions that are probably so hard to make that, that one would want to be ignorant to the food they're eating because you don't want to think so much about it, right? And, and like, as we talk about this, you know, I know that, you know, if I think of the, the friends I have in, in, my, in my extended circle who are focused on ingredients and buying organic food and going through the motions, and, and they're all kind of in the same realm. And then I try to think of the people who, you know, I, I don't think are thinking that way. And it, and it becomes like, it becomes an income thing. In, at least it looks that way. And I, and I would hope that, you know, that one of the things that these brands are embracing is that this needs to be easy for everybody, regardless of, of where you sit in this, you know, kind of global income category. I mean, everybody wants to be able to trust their food, right? 80% of us want to be able to trust their food. Uh, yes, you, we can't all purchase organic, sustainable, regenerative, local products. Um, there's just a higher barrier to entry because they tend to be more expensive. And I, you know, I won't even go down the rabbit hole that is the food deserts of, of this country. Um, but the good thing about DigiFresh is there's no barrier to entry in using our tools. All you need is to have a phone that can scan a QR code. Um, so we're giving everybody the tools to be able to access this information. Now, does everybody want to access in this information? That's not, you know, I think, yes, they want to trust it. If it's easy for them to access it, then they will. But then will they be able to purchase the product that is presenting the information, right? That is still to be determined. But I think, you know, as this becomes more mainstream. And uh, as consumers, we start demanding this from our products, right? And it's up to us to demand transparency and, and you know, per, like scream from the Twitter and Reddit rooftops that all of products should be transparent in their ingredients, that we should know what natural ingredients mean, that, you know, we should know what a paraben is and why we should look for products that don't have them. Then we're going to start to see the big conglomerates 
start eliminating things like red food dye that, you know, I, I was reading an article because I've kind of become obsessed with this recently about um, how companies like a Nestle will produce a product um, for the UK and the UK is traditionally in, in the EU. Um, now the UK is not part of the EU, but the EU has eliminated um, things like red dye and like yellow dye. They're not allowed, comp- companies are not allowed to produce food products with those ingredients. Um, so a Nestle will produce a product without those ingredients and sell it in the EU. But because the U.S. hasn't mandated the same laws, they'll include it because it's cheaper, it's faster, and we are just purchasing that product still. So, you know, I noticed it recently in my Crest toothpaste that I give my kids every day. And I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't even really think about this. It's in my kid's toothpaste. I now need to go look for another product. And I, you know, I felt, found Hello Products, which is, you know, a great personal care product um, that does not have any of those artificial kind of food dyes. But I mean, why are, is the government not mandating this? Why are we kind of sitting back and allowing this to happen? Um, and, you know, there's the impact that it's having on our health is still TBD. We don't, we don't know yet. Um, but it's really frightening to think about that from a consumer's perspective um, and sort of the education of knowing versus not knowing, right? Like parabens are bad. They're, you know, they're linked to potential cancer and, and hormone, you know, pr- producing, you know, eliminating hormone producing. So they lead to infertility, right? But unless you study that and read it, like you wouldn't know. So we're really trying to make it equal access for all to have an information. All you need is a phone that has a QR reader. I mean, I, I brought this up in a in a recent interview, and I I just remember when Michelle Obama had gotten behind, like, <coughs> you know, like let's let's take this food problem on directly, and it's going to be solved with education and compassion, right? And and she was met with such um, defense, which became offensive from big food. And it became so blatantly obvious how this whole thing works, you know, because it's not about, you know, I, I don't know how people can actually live with themselves, but that's a whole other story. Like, you know, you're, 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 you're treating, you're feeding these children, like basically poison. They're getting sick and, and, and you don't seem to feel anything for it. And, and people go out and try to create systems to, to, to prevent this. And, 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 and it's a cash cow, right? I, I remember doing some volunteering at the children's hospital here in LA and, uh, you know, it was part of like the Disney experience and we would go in and we would hang out with the kids. And, and I, I, um, this, this young, this young girl, maybe she was eight or nine, which is really young. And I was talking to her and there didn't seem to be anything. I couldn't figure out why she was there. Right. But I did notice that her teeth were apparently like, like brown, right. Grayish brown teeth. And, and I, I figured out some way, cause you had to be really careful about how you communicate to the children. Oh, yeah. And I just, you know, ask in, in general kind of conversation, she revealed that, you know, she was there because she was suffering from like seizures and she would go to the hospital. And this was like maybe the fourth or fifth time she had experienced this. She would go into the hospital and they would go away and she'd go back home and she'd be okay for a while and they would happen again. 
So as I'm talking to her, I'm beginning to, to, to get an understanding of her diet at home and at the hospital. And the big change is the amount of, it wasn't Coke, it was some kind of cola, right? And the cola consumption was like literally like at least three or four two liter bottles a day. Oh my God. Instead and of water. it was, Ugh. right. And, and no water. This was the liquid that she would consume. And, and it was, that was not an odd thing in her life. Like, which meant to me, which said to me, like the whole family's doing this, maybe the whole community. Yep. And that amount of sugar, you know, was, was rotting her from the inside out. And I just, and, and I, and I pulled aside at some point, like uh, a, a nurse and, and said, you, you know, I'm not like a doctor and I'm not a detective, but this is, there's clearly, this is what seems to be going on. And she said, yes, we know. And there is absolutely nothing we can do except what we're doing. And was that like, do you think it was a lack of education or sort of wherewithal on the parents' part? Or do you think it was just the easiest thing? Because water, I would imagine, is cheaper than soda. Well, I don't actually know. I don't really drink that much soda. But I, 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 don't, I, I, I don't, I can't figure it out. I, I thought, I thought it might be like a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's all you know, you're yeah. stubborn to change, even if you know it's wrong. Right. I mean, we get so caught up. I mean, this is where the brand thing becomes challenging because we said earlier how consumers love to to wear a brand. Like it's a it's a personal like statement. statement yep. But what but what if your brand is killing you? Right? Like and I and I'm not to pick on Coca-Cola, right? And and she was not drinking Coca-Cola, by the way, but you know, Coca-Cola is sugar water. And before that, I think at some point it actually had cocaine in it. But, you know, but, but, you know, you're, you're walking around. I remember like kids when I was a kid, like, you know, Coca-Cola or Golden Grams or like yeah. we would wear T-shirts with like food brands and with no idea. Because, you know, I mean, think back to when you were a kid, like you weren't questioning the choices of your parents. Of course like, not. And it was... Yeah, it was TV. It was your peers. Because I wasn't like, I, I never knew soda until I had friends. My parents didn't drink soda. Yep. And then all of a sudden, now I need soda, yep. right? Because my friends have soda. And uh, my parents didn't really give in, though, only every once in a while, but, but was which fine. was good. But then it was diet, which I think might even be worse. I don't oh, know. Oh, yeah, the artificial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like who knows who knows what that was doing. But I, I guess where I'm going is that I believe in this 100% and I love your strategy. I love that Digifresh is turning it into a a tool of positivity to brands to get them to embrace it and do some good because I don't think anyone is necessarily going to do good for good's sake. Yeah. You know, that unfortunately the the way that we encourage people to make change is we we show them how it's going to be better for them. Yeah. And better for their bottom line. Yeah. Um, and so I think the strategy, the, your strategy is is very smart. Um, I I just wonder, like, you know, I mean, as you talk about this, I I start to picture this at scale, like, mm-hmm. you know, Digifresh being responsible for, you know, like a massive food glossary, an ingredient 
glossary and turning it into something that's fun, like mm-hmm. using your own, like eating your own dog food in a way totally. where it's like, we're creating content about manufacturing processes. We're shooting documentaries about these companies that are early partners. And I know that you are and Oliver are involved in some of these companies already, but like, like really showing, you know, not only the mission, um, but the purpose, which I think is, which is a word I really like to grab onto because yeah. without purpose, it's pointless. That's right. right? You know, yeah. and, and leaning I mean, into that. 100%. I mean, we're, we, we want to, um, I mean, we know right now our, our goal is really about, you know, we're a platform, we're a marketing platform for brands that are prioritizing transparency, that are prioritizing environmental consciousness and investing in traceability and healthy ingredients and quality practices. Um, And we give them the tools to communicate these practices and processes transparently and seamlessly to customers. And then they're in turn giving the tools to the customers to be able to quickly pull up information so that they can make uh, a well-informed decision on what they're going to consume and, and, and purchase. Um, but, you know, for kind of environmental practices and tra- traceability and supply chain tracking, I mean, it's a costly undertaking for brands. Um, it's, you know, it requires a uh, supply chain traceability company, right? You know, you've got Right Bio and IBM Food Trust and sort of a number of different uh, companies that are that are doing this today, but for a brand to invest in that means that they're either doing it to protect themselves, which generally isn't the case. They're like a sweet greens that's um, investing in it because it's part of their values um, and it's mm-hmm. core to their mission. Um, so we're really focusing on looking for brands that share our similar values, right? We, you know, we believe climate and consumer behavior are intrinsically connected, right? So every choice we make, every purchase we make should matter and it should be meaningful. And so that's why we're really focusing on elevating these conscious products, origin stories and values to educate shoppers. But we want to ensure people who share our values have the information they need to make ethical and meaningful purchases. And and hopefully it all lives to um, a, you know, a more sustainable life. Um, but you know, it is, it's early still. I mean, not every brand is doing this. Not all the big conglomerates care to do it because it, it's not better for their bottom line. As you said, um, the brands that are leaning into it are the ones that have put the stake in the ground that this is core to their values and core to their mission. Um, you know, the Patagonias, the Bowdens, right? Um, the Pacha soaps and solely essential oils, right? The Hello products, right? These products that it's, um, they were built solely on um, prioritizing healthy, quality, sustainable practices, right? Environmentally friendly um, ways of kind of producing their their products. Um, yeah. So, I think it's, it's, you know, consumer behavior is directly tied to purchases and, and to what we're building. I think, I think, you know, as, as Digifresh begins to scale and the, you're able to collect more and more insights. And so like a really basic example of that would be, Hey, um, X number of consumers, when they, when they see this ingredient, they don't buy it. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And you can provide that type of analysis to the brands. Right. This becomes a, a totally different game. That's right. Right. It's a because lot of R&D. That, yeah. And that that, you know, one of the, the way that I always define it is that there's like broadcast and then there's like a conversation. And that becomes very much a digital conversation, which is, oh, you're telling me something, consumer. You're telling me that that you care about this and I'm going to listen and I'm going to respond with making a change. And then the next batch of consumers who go look and they don't see that ingredient, they see a different one that is like, maybe, I don't know, it's, it's locally sourced or it's actual, like it's not chemical or whatever, who, who then purchase, you're able to take that to your next big brand you want to get on the platform and say, Hey, look, look at this. This is what's happening. Yep. And now you're missing out on two things. You're missing out on controlling your story and you're missing out on getting feedback. Like you are living in a vacuum at this point. So well said, Rob. Great. I mean, you, you, you want to come, you want to come tell our story and do our marketing for us? <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> yes. Um, but, 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 but you know what I'm saying, right? It becomes such a selling point because you know, Everything, like, like the whole thesis of the podcast is that everything that we do in some way, shape or form, we're talking to somebody else. But communication has many different methods and, and, and ways to go about it. But I think that when brands respond to data yes. and listen, it is the loudest thing they can do, yeah. you know, to say you're important. We, we give a shit about you. Yeah, well, and the challenge today is brands don't have that way to communicate and connect directly with the customers because they rely on the Amazons, the Walmarts, right? The big box retailers and e-tailers to sell their products. So that's the huge value um, statement that we deliver to them is connect directly to the consumer, capture that first party data, right? That those email addresses so that you can bring them into your ecosystem and communicate directly with them and understand who your audience is. Cause a lot of these brands don't even know that. I mean, then you can right. reach those consumers and others like them, right? You know, you know that this very well from your Disney days um, and remarket them on social and digital, right? But it's much more than just those audience insights and those engagement insights that we're getting from just that one partner it allows when we have the entire ecosystem, right? We, we hear a lot in tech about this network effect, right? This network effect is exactly what we're doing for eco-conscious brands. And we're able to see how cust- customers respond at scale to yeah. this information, to ingredients, to values, to right, these insights. And it helps them be smarter. It helps them for their research and development. It helps them just capturing customer feedback directly, right? They don't even have a way generally of getting survey feedback, right? How do you decide what price point makes sense? What flavor I'm looking to, you know, get into a new lollipop, right? One of our customers is a conscious retailer in um, New York called the Good Smart, which is kind of a a conscious bodega. Um, And they're, you know, starting to scale to other, to other cities and they're, they had no way to actually capture customer feedback. So we're working with them to do a QR to a survey for them to be able to engage customers and then provide that information back to their brand partners. And so data is everything in this digital world. Um, and we're really building this, this, this profile of um, environmentally friendly, con- you know, eco-conscious, sustainable um, brand data that will help 
the ecosystem at large. Yeah. I mean, there, there, I think of companies in a couple of different categories. I think about companies that are, um, that are just good, right? Yep. They're just good companies. Like Patagonia is clearly yep. like in that category. Totally. And then, and then there are these companies that I would put Digifresh in, which are companies that their purpose is to enable other companies to be better mm-hmm. and to do the right thing and to make it easy for them. Right. Because like the, the platform at fully blown out is, I don't even want to think about how complicated it could be. Right. Especially if you start thinking about that journey of origin to consumer, right. There's so many stops along the way. And I mean, you know, and it's not necessarily like that you can, that every system has like FedEx tracking. It's like, you know, things move in different ways um, to go from place to place, but let's just assume that all gets built and the world has now changed. And what you have enabled is you've taken the hard work out of it for these brands. And again, turn something that could be seen as a hassle or, you know, red tape into something that's actually helping them sell more products and ultimately make more money, which is why Everybody's doing what they're doing. It's all about the bottom line. So, but hopefully yeah. in the bottom line, they're, they're also, you know, do, doing some good along the way. Um, and, I, and I think, yeah, no supply chain is the same. The first mile to the last mile, depending on the brand, um, it could be five steps. If it's a single source, it could be 45 steps or, or more, right? right? And yeah. I think part of the challenge and why some brands aren't, transparent about their supply chains is I don't actually think they know every step in the supply chain because they buy products from a supplier and Mm -hmm. that supplier doesn't always provide them details of where that cotton comes from or where that, you know, frankincense comes from. And so that's a break in the supply chain. And so you need to work with a traceability company or you need to work with transparent suppliers who can tell you exactly where the products that you're putting in your product that's ultimately going on a shelf um, is coming from. But look, I mean, the, yeah. the food the food traceability market, right? Digifresh, one aspect of our business is food. Um, and that kind of, that's where we you know really started, hence the name Digifresh. But as we've really evolved, um, we, we're seeing that there's so much, many applications beyond food. Um, you know, we're working with cannabis, as I mentioned, we're working with some fashion brands, right? Beauty, wellness, healthcare. I mean, every product has a story um, and has practices and processes and an origin. Um, And so we're really thinking about how we can scale across industries, Um, not just kind of focusing only on food and beverage, which is, which is where we started. Yeah. Yeah. I I was just uh, thinking about, you know, (sighs) working um with Sphero on on their robots and mm-hmm. and you know having a, a a small glimpse into how the sausage was made and you know i mean you know like every uh, like most other like toy companies our our products were were built in china and uh you know and 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 it's interesting um how we as uh americans sometimes rationalize other countries' conditions um, to, to justify why we can't 
do it under humane conditions here or anywhere, basically, because it's not it doesn't have to be here. But, you know, conversations like, you know, um, oh, but those factory workers, they get an hour break in a field, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, wait, what? Are you mm-hmm. talking about jail? Mm-hmm. No, no. But I mean, having that type of information um, would be really eye-opening. Just, I scan this thing. It's a toy. And and that's where it came from. This is who made it. Yep. Like, do you want to buy this? Yep. Connecting <laughs> yeah. with that. I mean, look, like we all uh, love the, the simplicity and the ease of um, Amazon. Right. I mean, I am a sucker for it as well as a mom of three kids, right? And and a CEO of a startup yeah. company. I don't have much time and it's easy to, for me to purchase off of Amazon. But we, you know, there's so much counterfeit on Amazon. I mean, I completely stopped buying any vitamins off of Amazon because I've just heard too many horror stories and even beauty products, right? There's so much yeah. counterfeit. Not everything, right? There are great vendors on Amazon. So I'm not saying it as sort of a generalization of it. But um, there, you know, even, you know, Aesop were, were kind of, it, it's one of those brands that I love. And, and they even have on their website that you need to purchase it from themselves, not from Amazon, because not just China, but other markets as well are counterfeiting their goods and have gotten really good at it. And so, you know, yeah. if there was a near field communication or a QR code, I mean, QR codes, you know, it authenticates it to some level, um, but you can still reprint a QR code. And so it's not completely counterfeit proof. Um, NFC is probably the thing that's the most counterfeit proof today um, because it's really hard to replicate that chip. It's possible, but it's really small chance that it's going to actually happen. So, you know, I think you're going to start to see as, as we have more people purchasing from online retailers, that there is going to be some level of authentication of, is this product real, right? Like I bought collagen um, from Amazon and I could tell right away by the smell that it was not real. And I had no idea just based on the smell. Yeah. Brands are, yeah, you can see it. Like um, brands are starting to make it so you can't like open up their containers because they don't want people buying secondhand containers and filling them up with, you know, other products and reselling them as the original. I mean, it's, yeah. it's tricky. And, and you're right. Amazon is a, is just a playground for copycat companies. I mean, they can, I mean, it's, it's such a, it, it's designed for that if you really think about it, because not only can I copy your product and take your, you're like basically your brand, but then I can buy real estate on your page to sell my product for cheaper as if it's the same thing. I mean, and so that's what it's designed for. Yeah. And so, and so of course that's going to happen left and right. You're going to get counterfeiters because the system is designed to attract counterfeiters. Yeah. And if, 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 if Digifresh was implemented, say on Amazon and you received that, that, you know, those vitamins and you just scanned it. Yep. Um, it immediately well, authenticated it, right. Yeah. Said this verifies it with a, with a check mark. Right. This this is real. Right. Here are the claims. Check mark. Yes, it's sustainable. You know, yes, it's fair trade. Right. All those things that maybe they're they're mar- you know, marketing jargon that now they can actually validate. And then, yeah. yeah, let me tell you more about this brand. And if you're interested in seeing all of the products in our in this brand's catalog, right, here's a quick way to do so. Um, so it's that, you know, it's that storytelling, that authenticity and sort of that verification um, also paired with kind of the marketing and the commerce enablement, right? Whether it be direct to consumer or if it's Amazon, just, you know, through their, their retail provider, right? It, um, 
but yeah, it, it's, it's a great tool for any brand that is, you know, prioritizing authenticity um, and, and really their values. Um, and so yeah. that's, you know, a lot of what we're, we're, we're looking for is brands that are using a GS1 standard. GS1 is a standard that came out of Italy. It's a traceability standard. Um, people, pro- brands put it on their product SKUs and you can actually trace um, the entire kind of the chain supply chain of a product. And so it's really that sort of first traceability standard that um, was released a number of years ago. Um, and now you're seeing more companies with blockchain being um, such a kind of mainstream um, way to, to, to track products yeah. today. Um, brands are really starting to lean into that more and more as well. Yeah. Sarah, this is so cool. I am, I'm so happy that you guys are on top of this and, uh, Thanks, you know, contributing to a better planet and a, and, and a better buying experience at the same time. Uh, I, you know, what's the best way for uh, for our listeners who want to find out more to, to, to get in touch with, with you people? Yes. Um, well, you can go to digifresh.io and um, reach out, get in touch. We're um, available and have fantastic tools for all, all, all brands that are interested. Um, we uh, You can find us on LinkedIn um, at Digifresh. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. We're on all the social channels now. Um, we're, you know, a, a small, scrappy startup, but we've got a fantastic team, and um, we're we're here to to work with any brand that's interested. That's so awesome. I, I mean, this has been so much fun, Rob. First of all, I, I like just love reconnecting with you, especially given um, how far we go back to God, fifteen years ago. I mean, isn't that crazy how time has just passed in like a blink of an eye? Um, but it's just, it's been really fun, you know, understanding a little bit more of about field test and um, what you're doing with DTC growth hacking. I've been listening to all of your, um, your episodes. It's really, it's, um, you do a great job interviewing everyone. Thank you. And so I am so honored to have been included. Thank you, Sarah. I, I mean, I, I think, you know, when I think about Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. About field test and and Digifresh, I feel like these are two companies that are living in the same 
realm. You know, one of the things about field test is, you know, really embracing the idea of, of knowing your customer. And, you know, just as we talked about Amazon and, and its challenges, you know, the world of, of advertising has gotten, you know, it, we have, you know, the Facebooks of the world who control not only the, you know, the, the ads, but control the relationship. And one of the things we're really trying to, to get people to understand is that there's a better way to know who your customers are and to communicate with them and learn from them and relate to them. And you don't need to go through lookalike audiences on Facebook where you don't know anybody. And you brought up email and it's crazy because email is still the most effective way to communicate with a consumer. You have open rates of like what, 60% yep. on anybody who signed up for the list. And so it's like, that is the best stat ever. It's crazy. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. just just connecting directly with your consumer and understanding who they are, right? And I, I think, you know, there's so many parallels between field test and your audience segmentation and, you know, understanding the psychographic information of your audience and then providing that to a brand in a really transparent way and how we're connecting brands and products to customers um, to also similarly help them understand who their consumers are and, and the audience at large. So there, I mean, there's so many parallels. Um, so it's, it's been, uh, it's been great for me just to, just to do the research on my own and understand how we can make those parallels. Yeah. It is so smart. Uh, listeners, I want to thank you for uh, checking us out. Um, DTC growth hacking is presented by field test who make programmatic advertising simple and you can check them out at fieldtest.la. The podcast is engineered and edited by Garrett Griebel. And it's hosted by me, Rob McGray. And if you want to be in know on the ever-changing world of direct-to-consumer advertising, please subscribe. We've got plenty of amazing episodes with guests from all sorts of backgrounds and businesses. And remember, we're all in this together. I want to thank Sarah Wagman Ellenbogen for coming on today. Um, great interview and congratulations on all the success with Digifresh. Thank you, Rob. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Sarah. Bye. This was a field test podcast.